Good afternoon and welcome to episode two of Looting Geeks Unplugged, Tech Tales and Agile Antics. Hopefully everyone's been keeping well and look forward to today's episode with the title of The Path to a Digital Job is Changing. And welcome to my comrade, Darren Bolden. How are you doing today, Darren? I'm really hot and bothered. Uh, us, us Brits, anyone watching abroad, we don't do the heat and it's, and it's only 28, 26 to 28 Celsius in the UK at the minute. And it feels like it's Satan's armpits. I don't know it, about you. It's horrible. And apologies for those listening. Uh, I referenced my accent last time. It's probably worse today because I've got the dreaded man flu. Um, I'm man down. It's, it's, I'm struggling today. But yeah, the, the heat's not cool. I was in Pisa the other month. And even though it's hotter there, it felt cooler because of the breeze and stuff. And everywhere's air con. Whereas, yeah, it's here, we're, we're not. We're not equipped in any shape or form, are we? No. Br- British, British heat is different as well. Yeah, I always say this. I always say this and get people look at me in a funny way, but it is. It's it's more sticky. Yes. Yeah. 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 So a uh, quick recap for those who may not have heard our first episode. Um, this podcast is just really aimed at anyone who has sort of an interest in digital and tech. Um, and we hope to shine a bit of a light on some of the myths or misconceptions of what goes down in this industry, because I think there's a lot of stuff out there that perhaps may seem overwhelming or feel like there's not a clear path into the, into the industry. So we're here just to perhaps like lighten that sort of um, perception of things. Um, so with that in mind, what are we going to be discussing today, Darren? We're going to be talking about the path to a digital job or technical job uh, or technology job uh or or a career path and um i think it's really important one um uh, and it's a fun one for me and you mainly because we've both taken very different paths to where we are today Um, and you hear some fantastic success stories of people stepping away from their current career and moving towards uh, a technical career or 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 another career and and some it's actually easier than a lot of people think is my Mm. belief anyway and hopefully we'll have some guests talking about this who work in the recruitment world or who have also stepped away from their 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 a career they've been in for a decade or more like yourself and 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 moved into that career path so what i thought i'd do is um i would go first because it makes sense um as i'm jabbering along um and and how i fell into uh, my my current role so uh, mine's really boring in that from a young age as a kid, I always liked playing with technology. Um, I always enjoyed anything technical or anything like a Game Boy or anything like that. And then we discussed, you know, home PCs and stuff. Well, yeah. That was born when I was very little in that uh, my dad's friend actually built us our home PC. Um, and he actually opened the sides off and discussed with me. And this is me, like preteen. Um, what each part did and its role. And at the time, I was just, you know, mesmerized by these these electrons are doing stuff. And I continued to break it. Um, and the guy had to come back and repair it many times because I was tinkering with it, right? So rather than I was the, I'm the kind of person that will play uh, and see, you know, cause and effect-wise what would occur, um, I 
this kind of at the time education wise jamie you're probably the same there wasn't much um in the way from schooling if you went through schooling in the 90s um to kind of accelerate that thinking and especially in our area that was it was quite poor but i did manage to go to a technical college um right. which 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 was great and did a foundation degree in computer science nice. i had the I had the opportunity to bump that to a um bump that to a full degree but at the same time had applied via a family friend for a job uh, an organization based about 30 miles from where we lived um and they took me on um as a young you know 1920 i think i was 20 um and they were a startup um shout out to blue chip they've been bought now but i was uh employee 99 at the time they just moved into a new building and if you've ever worked at a startup um it's the best experience you'll ever get because there's not big processes to stop failure or big big huge uh, organization that can ensure that things don't happen things do happen but you learn really quickly and you adapt and you're nimble i'm not going to use the word agile for those things and the organization was moving away from break fix technology hardware to manage services and data centers and i was there for 10 years i think in total and i had a numerous different jobs uh at at blue chip and it's now service now they were bought but um i had a fantastic time and the big thing there was the culture it was because it was a startup and because it was almost family run you just felt like people didn't want you to fail it was a huge amount of togetherness uh still friends with a lot of people that work there now um and just just awesome um awesome place to work at the time and but i felt like uh, I, there was something missing and it needed scratching and an opportunity showed itself in me doing a similar role but for big enterprise so big organizations big global national uh, international uh, systems integrator um, knocked on my door and offered me a role at a company called Centrelink. it used to be Savis um, and they were like one of the first kind of private cloud organizations and that was that was i was there for five and a bit years that was a great experience as well really good fun uh and the same thing there was a small small team that focused on cloud um and that kind of technology rather than networking and culturally they're really similar to blue chip actually although they were enormous um there was a culture of togetherness and there was people that um worked what i worked with they know who they are the the, the likes of jb tyler i'll probably tag him in this now adam deval uh amit dalvi those people are still in a whatsapp group with them as well because they're just lovely human beings but mm. also re really know their shit as well which is really which always helps yeah which always yeah. helps and that and but no no question was a stupid question and they were happy to um happy to engage and talk to you um, and talk about the industry and the sector. And they've all gone on to, to have fantastic careers elsewhere as well. Um, and then as the pandemic was um, uh, ramping up and then ramping down, um, I was looking for more of a public cloud specific role uh, from an advisory perspective. 
and there was a couple of organizations i um i really in, uh admired uh i don't know if there's, there's i know spotify is a big one right from a digital yes. tech tech perspective right there's loads um they they um um so there was a there's a handful of those kind of organizations i really admired one of them was cloud reach so uh born in a pub in london everyone knew it I actually listened to the podcast one of the reasons i i reached out to jez and um dave chapman at the time was because uh of the podcast for a role at cloud reach uh, and i'm not a not not ashamed to admit that either um and stepped into a role at cloud reach uh, within their advisory group and it's great it's been a great place to work and the last year everyone's and who who knows me has seen or knows the organization has seen that they were bought by acquired by atos and then have become evident as part of uh, a split that's very uh public so we're going through another piece of change what's great about that is it is luton pound orange the organizational corporate colors i did actually tech i did actually tech check the hex you know the code you get yeah the yeah yeah here. and it isn't, it isn't far off either so it's so uh, you know i've got, got to do some code changing to make you, it make it exactly the same see if anyone notices to see if anyone notices yeah so yeah mine, mine was really traditional in that um all my qualification steps all my uh process was kind of almost geared to that um from from a very young age to oh this is this is this is interesting and then you kind of fall into roles and one thing i've noticed is in technology you can just just say yes and people will let you do stuff which which there's a lot of more trust i find um so my, mine mine's boring but I remember uh, many moons ago before you stepped into digital, we had a few conversations about um, you wanting to change careers. So I'm interested now to hear yours because I've never heard it from start to finish. Yeah. You've done this story many times uh, in interviews around yes. your CV and stuff. So this this is much more interesting. And also heartfelt that anyone that is looking for a career change or job change or thinks actually technology might be or, or, or you know, digital might be a place I want to work. So I'm going to let open the floor up and you can, Thank you. you can tell us all about the crazy career. It's a meandering one, so yeah. But firstly, I, I'm not saying this because anyone who does know me well knows I'm quite blunt. Your story is not boring at all. I find it fascinating. Um, like, there's, there's so many questions that I think people will probably have about sort of how how you sort of did you start off thinking you'd end up where you are and stuff. So yeah, no, I think you're downplaying your your, your sort of journey. But yeah, my one is a weird one. Um, so going back and there is a reason why i go back so far and i'm probably people are going to start now calculating ages here um but back in 2008 i joined pg pg mol now not many people know that but basically it's the official and professional referees organization um and people normally think about the fa when they think about referees but this is just for context the fa yes. anyone non uh soccer. soccer yeah so this is the referees in soccer if you're watching in yes. the us or outside the uk yes yeah. sorry yes no no thank you it's probably I, I always slip into that um sort of like just sort of like the the naming conventions of the organizations or governing bodies but um but people think about the PGMO and think that's going to be linked to the Football Association. It's not. It's owned by the Premier League. 
So that's something, again, that always confuses people. But basically, my role started out as just an admin bod, um, organising the annual conference where all the referees get together to talk about refereeing. It is actually interesting, despite what people might initially think. And um, take complaints from managers, which on a Monday morning was not fun. I had... So this is this is professional sport, Premier League. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Uh, and and the managers of these multi-million and yeah. now now billion-pound organisations, their managers are complaining to you. Is that yeah. right? So they ring on a Monday. I think that my line manager at the time just got me in just to do that because they had done it for so long, and I don't blame them. Um, and I'd just be sat there, and they weren't like like they were never at me because. I'd think that'd be crossed the line, but it, it wasn't the most pleasant thing to be sat on a Monday morning and just literally be barked at for an hour sometimes. But they always would end it politely um, and say like, oh, not, nice to speak for you. Thanks for giving your time. And I was like, no worries. Here all week for that. Um, and then it just sort of evolved. Um, got a new general manager in who wanted to modernise how refereeing was sort of looked at across the English game, not just in the Premier League, but right through the, um, the pyramid system. And we um, looked to build an internal system, but then it also spoke to the football clubs and the governing bodies. So it is a way of how clubs could report on referees and provide feedback, but also try and communicate and understand more why referees may have made a decision. Referees right. would also would then be uploading their match reports, but also there would be areas of communities between referees where sometimes decisions would be discussed because even referees will have a different view of it, even those rules. So it was really like fascinating. And we had put ourselves in a really big pickle in a sense of we from March, we announced we were going to go live with this for the 2010-11 season for the first weekend in August, uh, like kickoff. So the minute you say that to clubs, that's like you're throwing yourself out there, especially in that sort of industry. People who think about football, it is cutthroat, it is. Um, okay, yeah. And we had to, it wasn't just like talking to referees, it was basically product management. I didn't know, but I was going to clubs going, what do you need from day one? What do you want this to do? Referees, the assessors who are ex-referees, marking the referees and all this stuff. And it, so many things have to be factored in. Dealing with a third party company, who were doing development, who had previously only worked for clubs or sometimes rugby. So it's a very bespoke system. And very proud that basically we got it live and and got good feedback. And I then became from just administrator, systems and extranet administrator. So that, that, that was like the moment. And then I'm going to name drop um, for a moment because I'm proud of this. Basically, I built up a good rapport with the clubs and Man United got in touch one day and just said, look, we want to modernise our admin department when we like what you do. Would you consider coming for a role here? I'm an Arsenal fan, so I, I did see it as a chance to destroy it from within. Um, and I think if people look at the timeframes, I joined in 2011, I leave in 2015, just look at it. Um, I think I did a great job. Mission complete. Yeah, if, yeah, if you exactly. follow sport, definitely. if you don't follow sport, just Google it. Jamie yeah. joins... Uh, their their performance within the Premier League drip, uh, dips, so he does he does deliver. Yeah, I, I do. Like I was there for their last Premier League title. They've not won one in a decade since. So I think that speaks to my skill set. Um, kind of felt like Liam Neeson going in there. Um, I always will get a film reference. But um, yeah, and I went there and it was an eye opener. I was based at a training ground. Um, moved to Manchester from Luton. I hadn't gone away for uni, so it was a big culture shock in that sense. Um, and 
my first sort of remit of the job was handling their whereabouts stuff. So right. the people who get outside sports, doping is a very serious thing, obviously, in um, sporting um, conditions and environments. But the FA in the English leagues, football associations, do actually do a really good job. I'm going to really shout that out. They take it a lot more seriously than some other um, organisations and quite meticulous on it. And Man United um had had issues with it in the past with some of their players not doping to be clear but how they managed it and administered it because very short part of it basically a player in competition periods can be tested at any time of the day so if a player is given time off in a week but he's still under the first team squad's training schedule he would have to give an address and he could be in dubai and he and it has happened genuinely where someone will knock on the door two in the morning in dubai and go we're going to test you so it is very serious stuff. So they brought someone in to be dedicated to that. And that also then threw me into the world of um, the players' dressing room and the coaching staff because I had to understand the training schedules, their timelines and stuff like that. And I'll never forget my first day, Alex Ferguson um, stood me up in front of the players and he was gripping my arm. Um, and I'll, I'll reference that for a reason in a minute. And he starts telling them, this is Jamie. He's from Luton. So go easy on him got a few chuckles about that because we keep referencing Luton, but anyone who has heard of him automatically has this mystique about it and then said he's an Arsenal fan and that was the point where I was like oh he's killed me here because a lot of the staff not the players a lot of the staff are diehard Mancunians and if some of them like there's a woman who's been on reception who's coming up to her 70th year working there just think about that for a moment seen everything and there's this lad from Luton who's an Arsenal fan coming in to look after the players. So I could see the faces. But the point, reason I referenced the arm thing was he then started getting quite aggressive as he does. He's known Alex Ferguson for a thing called the hairdryer. So again, people can Google that if they don't know their sport. And he starts getting serious, but not with me, but he's like saying, he's here to do a job. So don't you effing muck him around. It's really... And because he's getting agitated, my arm's getting harder, like squeezed. And I'm like standing there. I think people were laughing because they could see my face because it was actually beginning to hurt me. But I just didn't have the conviction. Well, I think it's probably wise to say you're hurting me. So that was my initial introduction. Um, and then from there, just day to day, I I would get dressed down on my fashion sense. Um, um, if you did, you'd go in thinking, I look, I look meticulous today. No one can call this outfit out. And then they would mock you for your socks. And then that was it the whole week. Sock man or there'd be something. And yeah, and from there, just started to look at what we could do to improve their processes because they were a very high performance club. I joked about how they dropped off, but they are. They're, they're one of, if not the biggest clubs in the world from a branding and sort of history point of view. Um, it hurts me to say that as an Arsenal fan, but it's true. And it came across that basically some of them were outdated their processes, like capturing players' contracts. Some of it was like on template documents scanned, which will blow people's minds today it will yeah yeah um passports because they go on tours a lot during pre-season and you have to have visas sometimes again in a lever archer fold scan so then you'd have to get the player to remember to bring it in to make sure he has enough pages or it's in date and stuff like this or there wasn't an issue of it and it just seemed so complex but also you had a lot of and i'm going to say the word silos but you had the medical department the finance department the scan all talking to diff different systems so we looked to introduce um, an internal system that not only houses everything about the player from height, weight, addresses, it would have passport alerts. And then the administrator for the travel would know there's an alert on this player to renew in good time. They could set up alerts. It could export data around players and yellow cards, but also what referee had booked them. 
because then you can start to yeah, you see real good data right exactly yeah i thought i'd throw that one in because that's that always that's a crowd pleaser in an interview because um, yeah. everyone does think you've not done product in football because um, yeah. it's now becoming more common but when i started out on this journey um and i got to a point where i hit a um a ceiling there and that's not bragging i got employee of the month for that and the colleague who helped deliver me um i'll reference that because they did as well they did a great job and again we delivered it we started in may we delivered it for august when van howard came uh, new manager yeah yeah, yeah louis yeah. van howard again yeah google him and you'll see so many he's fascinating man but we delivered and got rewarded but i felt like there wasn't a clear role to do that stuff again. We could obviously optimise it, improve it, make enhancements. But in terms of where I could go next, is either I'd become the club secretary, which was very much more legal in a sense, dealing yeah. with contracts, bonuses, yeah. and set like very kind of mathematic in a way, but also worrying about everything across the whole first team remit from travel and stuff. So it just didn't feel like it's something I wanted to continue. So I thought I'd take a gamble. I went into the women's football and joined Liverpool ladies. And again, secret agent at that time, Brendan Rogers has got close to winning the Premier League. I come in, he didn't get sat. The ladies team had one back-to-back women's Super League titles. I come in, they don't. So I, I definitely did a... It's the JB a, effect. Yeah, and then also what was really good is obviously, again, anyone who does know football know how much of a very, uh, I'd say, hard sort of feeling there is for Man United to Liverpool. So yeah, yeah, yeah. again, announcing yeah. that Man United, I'm leaving, and I'm also going to your biggest rivals. Yeah. That went down an absolute storm. That, um, and then a family event happened, and and at that point, I just thought I hit a bit of a crossroads, and I thought family comes first, and I was getting lonely, I was getting homesick, if I'm honest. So I thought I moved back down south, and in that time, um, started to assess my career, and I wasn't enjoying the nature of it, like in terms of the more football stuff. It's not glamorous. And I will dispel that myth. There's some really great things and I experienced some amazing things that I'll take with me and impart that to my family, like my children, because some of the things I got to witness, like Alex Bergson, one of the greatest managers, being in, in there and sort of having him call me Rick Astley, like a nickname, which is fantastic feeling to have and stuff like that. But the actual mechanics of it, like being available like seven, eight o'clock at night or on a Saturday morning. and Yeah, because the, 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 I guess the schedule is relentless. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. And I was in more for, in a lesser role, so I wasn't always required on weekends. But when you get to that club secretarial, you're going to all the matches. You're, yeah, yeah. And think about it, if you're in Newcastle on a Wednesday, then you're going down to Southampton on a Saturday. There is no break for that. No. And I spoke to my sister. I'm really lucky. Um We'll reference that. So Sarah, my sister, who has worked across products, has been a journalist, has done content work. And she just said, what did you like doing in football? And I sort of said about this, the systems I'd worked on. She went, that's product management, product owning. So what is that? Didn't know anything. And I genuinely did. I, I don't care if people laugh at it. So I, I got agile, but for dummies, because I just yep. wanted to understand it. I was like, actually, I could do this. But I faced challenges. I was going for roles and I'd get, it's not as glamorous as football. We won't pay you as well. You know, you only join, or you haven't worked in scrum, sorry. And this is why I'm quite passionate about doing this podcast so people can realise you can do it. I was in my 30s. I went to Millwall, which that was an eye-opener. Um, but great, great club in the sense that they really do. They have a lot of um, stuff around them, but they um, do a lot in the community to try and improve that um, perception of, of the club. And 
um, was one of the youngest assistant club secretaries in the whole football pyramid. I was only 30 and I was quite proud of that achievement. So I was still, I still kept thinking, you've just taken another football job. Keep going, try and get out of football. I then tried a little subway into the national team setup and try and be logistics and managing travel and stuff again. Just kept thinking, now you've got, now's it. You're 30, I think 32. 32, yeah. You've got to make a decision. It's now or never. So, so I stepped into UK sport and was then handling some of their event stuff, but again, looking at systems. And then an opportunity came up at TUI. Um, very big, one of the biggest, if not biggest, European travel companies. And I thought when I went in there, they knew my knowledge. I'm always transparent and honest to a full and said, like, I've not worked in Agile. I do not know half of it. But what I can tell you is I know how to work with people. I've got a different way of approaching things because of when I was in football, one of the biggest things that was ingrained for me was that honesty. Yeah. Even if you deliver something that someone doesn't like to hear, you're honest because that's where you get the biggest sort of trouble in football. Um, and I just have a, I've worked with so many different cultures, players from Spain, Mexico, South Korea, Japan. So again, can really work with different people, different backgrounds. And I thought they'd throw me on a little bit because it's a contract role. I thought they'd go, here you go. And let's just test the kid here. Kid, I wasn't a kid. I try and make out I am, but I'm not. <laughs> and they threw me on the browse part, which on a holiday site, Darren, is it's the big. whole website. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And I struggled. I'm, man, I sucked. I was awful the first three months. Didn't have a clue what I was doing. But then I just took a step back. Did debate going back into football because I've got a lot of contacts in that world. But I thought, come on, you can do this. And started to talk to each discipline and try and understand what they do more today. Do but what did they want from a product owner? What yeah. what did they feel would help them achieve? And again, maybe that was different to what other people because it got a really good perception like they used to being told from about this is what yeah. we're doing i yeah, was yeah. actually involved in them and my first two releases then got me awards and i got offered a role there and this isn't to slight any other discipline in agile if anyone reads stuff that i post on linkedin I'll, i will happily promote any discipline i'm not saying that products the be on end or it's not i'm here to, i'll happily dispel that um thought process but i was offered a role as a qa and i just thought i've taken so long to get out of football like you've gone for a journey here, stick to it. So I took a role as a junior at EE. So I went back a step in a sense. And EE is a great company. Um, loved my time there. Um, progressed into major launches. So totally started out on the upgrade journey and ended up like delivering, um, helping to deliver their new benefits, which is where you get things like BT Sport as part of the phone package. Yeah, yeah. And then started to feel a lot more confident in what I was doing and, and my mindset and how I. And the feedback I always get is you're different. You're not pretentious. You you talk to st stakeholders, which I take as a, a massive sort of compliment. And I still have sometimes imposter syndrome now because I'm, I'm probably not the most technical in some ways, I think. But I'm honest about that, which then I think helps. And then I went to 10 Lifestyle, which is a online concierge. So totally different. And that's what I always try and do. If I do move roles, I try and go for a different industry because there's nothing wrong with being a expert within travel or I don't know, within telecommunication. Nothing wrong. That's fantastic. But I think I could go, I've done football and I tell you now there's things I've done in football that I could link to telecoms yeah. practices yeah, yeah. and conventions. Yeah. And then from 10 I went to Reach, who owned the Daily Mirror, and worked on a dogs community site, which amazing and to back you up that was very much like a startup even though it's under a big company umbrella like reach they had gone into a new sort of area called niche sites and 
it was tough for me as well with and I learned a lot. I learned yeah. a lot um from my development team who are fantastic. So I'll shout out to them. They were a great support and and then that's when I was like, right, this is the career I definitely feel most at home in and have worked for Cans, who do the marketing and festival creativity. And now I'm currently at Tusker, who are in the auto trading industry. So a myriad of roles um that have brought their own challenges and but again i would say definitely consistent themes so in you sort of like said you had a traditional one but what have you seen as consistent themes would you say sort of within your world um from a from a tech perspective um the client or the customer or whoever you're engaging with they tend to want the same thing they they want to be go faster quicker better cheaper right um th th that's from a job perspective every job i've landed in i'm always concerned and have imposter syndrome and i genuinely think you need that because yeah. it spurns you spurs you sorry to 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 bust a gut in that role for a period of time yeah i agree um I agree. and what i mean by period of time i mean is initially your learning curve is always is always quicker um, because you're prepared to listen and the one thing I have learned and I don't know about you is there's very few people that want you to fail uh, yeah. because, because no one wants everyone wants you to be successful because it helps them generally yeah um, yeah, yeah. As, as well so they're, they're the like themes that I've seen I don't, I don't know but yours is yours is interesting because you can link them. I'm, I'm I've always been in tech, so I can always link them to different sectors. But you, you've actually genuinely worked in different sectors, yeah, and not for technology, the technology department, yeah. without knowing it, right? Yeah, uh, and that role in the EFA, um, where you're taking managers who is their 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 professional teams played at the weekend, you're taking feedback. That is genuine 101 like product management yeah, it's, yeah right? it is you know? um so you were being um you were being kind of bled into it without even knowing that it's something and i think that's where um the industry has uh, or sector has an issue whereby they, they don't always see that there's completely transferable skills yes yeah 100 percent, and absolutely right and i'm so grateful for that experience because like i say i i, I won't go too down memory lane and stories but i actually did lie to a manager once i panicked on a monday morning and absolutely flapped and lied and then quickly learned you do not do that and and that again like i say i have to tell many stakeholders we're not delivering something on next day and disappointing but i've told them give them enough notice and explain why but then what can we do to maybe fix that but the, some of the themes i've seen that i think are definitely consistent and i'd say Football's getting better at it now because there are. I'm starting to see companies, but there's a lot of companies who will offsource football clubs. That is, that will offsource their um, websites to sort of digital companies. And I'm like, that's a massive opportunity there to like reach your fan base. But the themes I've seen is that sort of link between tech, digital, and the business. And it's not yeah. a criticism of anyone there. It's no. not. Um, COVID has accelerated it massively because there was. I think there still was a bit of not ignorance, but. Oh, we'll come out of this. We'll still need retail, but actually, no. We need to be better digitally. We need to have better yes. touch yeah. points, and and it's great. But there's still massive challenges where, and I referenced this last week about the North Star. But people will say the jargon from our industries, and you'll get a business person sitting there go, "What the hell are you talking about?" But then you'll get to be balanced. You'll then get a business person read something about agile and think, 
I'm getting that in two weeks. I'm getting something built. I'm getting a new journey. No, whatever. Stuff. Yeah, it'll be yeah. here for me. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah. I think that's definitely something that I've seen as a re- reoccurring theme. Um, that that's the most consistent one, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this that leads nicely. I feel that's a good segue. I think we're getting better at this into the uh, what we would call uh, sort of I'd say a end of the episode sort of. Uh, light touch is what i will reference this as but it's light, light what, touch yeah is what grinds my gears you know what really grinds my gears I'll ask you Dan. oh you want me to go first yeah, uh yeah so i thought about this um as we were recording a week apart um and one that uh it annoys me at the minute or, or has annoyed me in the last a uh, few months or not longer than that actually it's annoying me for a long time is hearing someone who is engaged with a project or a program of work use the term we need to pivot um at, or we need to pivot to do this pivot 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 shut up shut up shut up or we need to pivot to do this and it's normally with good intention and what they actually mean is we need to look at how we're measuring performance or delivery mm-hmm. we need to look at what we're doing within this technical thing or this whatever this plan or whatever's happening from a leadership perspective we need to look at that and we need to look at a uh, moving and changing direction um and always have a plan that's great and always you know be prepared to adjust it but f- throwing that out there you know this is not an episode of friends you know pivot um yeah we need we need to pivot that was that was the one that frustrates me the most because nine times out of ten people agree and then they carry on doing exactly what they've been doing there's no pivoting there's no pivoting it doesn't occur you can't get the sofa up the uh up the stairs friend style so uh what, what's yours jamie this week um the gear grinding gonna keep saying that phrase until it yeah. catches on i hope um it's recruitment process and I want to be clear, this is an attack on recruiters. I actually will defend recruiters in some aspects. Um, I think they get a harsh rep. Um, I've actually done a LinkedIn post about it. I will drop that in there. Um, it's more about how it's become more of a stressful process. Like going for a job is stressful for everyone. I think the manager trying to find the right person to come into his team, of course, and the recruiter to try and find that person and then the actual candidate. But the things that I'm seeing is there's the one main one because there's a few themes within this the main one i find is respect now i'm not delusional in the sense of if i apply for a role there could be thousands going for that role i, I don't expect feedback i don't expect someone to do some sort of analysis on why my cover cv didn't make the grade but most places places now sorry will have application which may involve a cover layer not just a couple of why are you good for a what could you bring to this company and then rigorous sort of like questions about your background and your history and stuff so you go through that then you'll have maybe an initial interview with the line manager or even an internal recruiter first yeah, yeah. then you'll have an initial line manager um if if you have that recruiter one and then you'll have maybe another one with a couple of other people in different areas then you'll have a takeaway assignment, which normally is a PowerPoint where yeah. we, we're having issues with this. How would you resolve it? And it could be up to two hours. And I'm sat there going, that's a lot. And for someone who has a day-to-day job, like to do that as well, give that sort of passion and energy to it is, is it's not easy. But then to get to that final stage, and we're talking 
unless anyone dispels it. So I'm going with five max because if you're saying that the final stage is roughly two hours and you've already done three stages of other people, you as the hiring manager or hiring team do not have that much time. You cannot be going with cross-five people that much. So then to get to the final stage and see someone's done a presentation and invested in trying to like bring some ideas to your company to then send them an automated email Tell them they did not get the role is just it lacks respect and i will call that out um because i think that's that's just poor that, that, that to me you don't have to do war and peace in terms of feedback but you can just give them a bit of insight so then you're helping them because if anything they might have helped you their presentation might have given you an idea so it, it needs to be to me respectful and beneficial in that sense um but there's other things that i say in my post that themes that have come from that that i would say definitely grinds my gears it, it makes it less personal I always think uh, uh, you, you, if if someone asks, um, you know, do you think do you think I'll progress? You should be direct with them and say, look, I'm not going to progress you because yeah. I don't feel you're right at this right time. These are things you should look at. Uh, we're really bad. British people are really bad mm -hmm. at that, and we will hide behind automated emails. So I, <laughs> no, we will. And, and, we will. Uh, I, I witnessed um, it in my like in my football career where. There's certain nationalities that are a lot more direct, a lot more blunt, and would walk into a room. And I'm not joking, this is a genuine example. But like, this is effing shit. And you see the person very first goes, excuse me. They go, this is Man United. Is this not shit? And then they're like, well, it's not, it's shit then, isn't it? And then you're like, yeah, it's shit. And then I started to realize I don't talk to people like that, but I'm like, we aren't, we are very shy as a, a nation. We are, very, we are. we're bad at it. I, yeah, I, work, yeah. I work with Dutch people and they're very blunt with their yes. feedback, but it, it feels refreshing at times. We have to get it's better at it. Yeah. It's it's, yeah. I'd, I've never come across that from a coming from a bad place, from someone doing it from a bad place. They are no. doing it to like try let's, and Let's make it better. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how yeah. they see it. Um, but yeah, some good gear grinding there. Um, I think people will be perhaps pleased to hear that the next episode we'll be having a guest because they probably want to hear a different voice. Um, so that's something to look forward to. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Um, it's been an enjoyable episode, Darren, actually. I feel like... Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Everyone likes talking about themselves. Yeah, they do. They, do. they may not admit it, but they do. They absolutely do. So, yes, thank you to everyone for listening. Um, as always, um, connect on LinkedIn. We're always happy to chat, and we'll speak to you all soon. Thank you, Darren. Thank you.